Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hello and welcome to a combined edition of the Giants Splash podcast and the A's Plus podcast. I'm your host, Chronicle Giants beat writer Susan Slusser, and today I'm joined by our A's beat writer, Matt Kawahara, to talk about all things spring training. So Matt, uh, spring training has gotten underway here in Arizona, and you and I have been down here. Uh, I think you got here a day before me because I think the A's actually started their first workout a day before the Giants did. How are you finding things in this um, first full pandemic spring? Obviously, you were down here last year when when the pandemic hit in the middle of the spring, and I was back on my uh, literal break when I broke my ankle. Um, what, what, how are you finding things at, at A's camp right now with all the, the protocols and kind of everything a little bit more established and a little bit more routine now? Yeah, I think um, I mean, we've asked players about this, quite a few players and, and Bob Melvin. And um, from the player and team and staff perspective, they've said that it's not that much different than last season was. I think everybody is kind of used to, uh, there are some new wrinkles to the protocols uh, this spring and, and going into this season. But at this point, it seems like, everybody is sort of used to what it takes to get to the field, get through their work and, uh, and make sure they're observing all the physical distancing. One of the guys who has the toughest jobs is uh, Ryan Christensen, who's the bench bench coach. And he's the one who plots out the schedule and figures out how all the groups are moving. So he's like puzzle master figuring out where, where everybody's going uh, so that they're not crossing paths and there's not too many guys in a clubhouse or a weight room at one time. But um, from our perspective, it's a little strange, uh, just because there's a one kind of area where the, I'm not. I, I think you have a little bit more room to roam at Scottsdale Stadium, um, where we are at Fitch Park. Uh, we kind of stay in one spot, so we're seeing one, two, one or two fields at a time, and we can see a little bit of the action going on. And, and from everything that we've seen on the field, it looks pretty normal. There's uh, players are. You know, going through their drills, they're they're hitting, they're uh, doing bullpen sessions. Not a lot of masks on the players. Uh, coaches, for the most part, are wearing masks um, during drills and on the field. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's I think everybody is having gone through last season, just kind of has a sense that this is how it's got to be if they're gonna get together and if this season is gonna get going. And uh, and everybody's just kind of operating under that understanding. How is it over at the Giants? Well, it's interesting. Uh, we can roam the stadium, but it's a lot more limited with when it comes to things like watching bullpen sessions. Essentially, their bullpen mounds are set up behind um, essentially a big sort of tarp overhang area. So uh, a lot of times, all you can see is a guy's landing foot when he's throwing up a bullpen session and you can't really see the catcher. So you, you can't tell what's happening with the pitches or where pitch location is, or, 
you know, often even what kind of pitch it might be. So that's a little frustrating. I've been used to with the A's uh, always during the spring, we could walk right up basically to where the bullpen mounts are uh, and stand outside the fence and watch the bullpen sessions and record the bullpen session. So uh, I feel like I have absolutely zero idea what's happening in bullpens, which is uh, frustrating. Um, we can see a little bit of what they're doing on the backfield, but it's very far away. So really, we're, we're pretty limited to watching what's going on uh, on the main field at Scottsdale Stadium. That said, we can get views all over um, there at the main stadium, which is nice. Or we could still just sit in our seats in the press box and do it from there, um, you know, if, if they're taking batting practice or whatever and we don't need to like find guys doing specific drills or whatever we can just sit there and, and kind of watch which is really nice uh, I'm not used to that I'm used to kind of having to go out and roam around this time of spring to, to watch stuff rather than just sit in, in a comfy chair uh, but uh, it, it's it is interesting the COVID spring uh, there you know there are different tiers as I think everybody knows for a COVID protocol and you can't have um, tiers one, which is essentially players, coaches, um, anywhere where tier three, which is media and people like that, um, might be. Like, we can't cross paths with them. So there are, are huge sections where we just can't go because a player just might happen to cut through that area to get to a field. So, yeah, that's that's the way it is down at Fitch, also. Yeah, do, you, do they have you set up in a workroom or something? How are you actually working there? No, we, uh, yeah, so there's one area sort of away from all the fields that has a, a bit of a tent, um, and we can sit under there for for a little bit. And then if, but if we're going to see anything, we basically, there are two areas um, down the, the lines um, toward the outfield between uh, two, the, there's four fields kind of set up in a, in a square. So we have viewing areas that uh, are in between two fields at a time but so you can see two fields but you can't see the other two um and like you said there's no moving uh because you know you can't cross paths with players and such so um so we're in there for for the duration and definitely no viewing of, of bullpen sessions we, we we don't get close down there so uh the good thing is there's been a little there they've live streamed some of the bullpens so that we're able to uh to see a little bit of video and um obviously kind of having to rely right now on uh, on reviews from uh, from Bob Melvin and, and some of the players. Um, yeah, it's a little bit nutty. So where so were you actually working? Do they have you like? Is there a place where you can like plug your laptop in or charge your phone up or? Yeah, there's just a, a prop up table and a um, an outlet strip on there, and yeah. All right. Well, I guess uh, we we all have to deal with a lot of different things during during this. So um, both teams are getting ready to allow fans into the stadiums when games start Sunday uh, on a limited basis. The uh, Giants are allowing 750 to 1,000 people uh, per game in at Scottsdale Stadium. What What is the anticipated total at Mesa and how are those preparations going? Yeah, the Ace said that they were going to let in uh, about 20% of the normal capacity at uh, Hohokam Stadium, which turns into about 2,000 fans. Um, they did say that they're going to be providing uh, complimentary tickets to um, like healthcare workers, uh, first response staff in the Phoenix area. So I don't know how many of those um, tickets are, are going to be specific, but um, as of yesterday, uh, an Ace spokesperson said that they had a just a very limited um, inventory of, of tickets left for the spring games. So uh, in terms of actual preparations in the stadium, what they had said at the at the outset was people are going to be sitting in pods. There's going to be security and staff members kind of stationed around to make sure that people aren't 
crossing into seats where they're not supposed to be. Um, the seats where you're not supposed to be are going to be zip tied. They said that they're, you know, Hohokam has the, um, they have an outfield berm. And so they're usually, you can go out there and sit on the grass and they said they're going to have sort of pod seating out there too, with the different, um, pods like delineated by paint. Basically, they're just going to like paint a box where you can sit and you're not going to be allowed to move. We'll see how that works. Um, People could bring but their own paint and paint their own box or keep making it bigger <laughs> and bigger. Yeah, don't give any ideas. Um, but yeah, so, and there's going to be you know limited concession uh, stands open, limited menus. Um, I guess all attempts to, to make sure that they can get people in there but do it safely. There does seem to be a little bit of uh, anticipation from the, um, from the team side about, I mean, it's been so long since they've played in front of their fans. Um, there were, you know, I think during the, the playoff games, a couple of the playoff games at, Col- at the Coliseum last year, there were, there were family members allowed in, sitting way away in the uh, center field suites. So you could almost see them. Um, but this is going to be different where there are you know people instead of cardboard cutouts. <laughs> Real cities. people. I don't know yeah. if you saw what Alex Dickerson said. He said he's, he's hoping he doesn't instinctually just flip a ball in because he's so used to throwing it cardboard cutouts now like kind of like Matt Chapman was doing so that's what I was thinking I mean Chapman and Olsen and those guys they would uh just take aim at those cutouts that were halfway up the the first tier so and they you know you have to throw it pretty hard to get out there so yeah hopefully they keep in mind that those are those are moving living people yeah I think one of the weirdly kind of nice things about all of this is how much everyone appreciates fans now but especially the players i can't tell you the number of players that have said you know i think i kind of took the fans for granted or you know even you know sometimes like oh as a nuisance like oh i don't i don't have time to sign autographs now and they are they're so excited about having anybody back in the stands at all but they miss so much giving kids autographs i've heard that from so many players and evan longoria yesterday was talking about how some young players, um, you know, aren't getting the full spring training experience. And for, for Longoria, he said that really revolves around fans, especially this time of the spring. This is where, you know, players are kind of uh, more relaxed. They're wandering from field to field. A lot of times fans that come out before the game start can just get guys roaming between fields and they'll give them a ball or they'll sign whatever or, you know, give them batting gloves. I mean, I it's really the best time to interact with players and and that's kind of you know gone by the wayside but they're so excited about fans being back uh but i've ta- been talking to an awful lot of giants personnel about getting scottsdale stadium up and running and they're going to be using the health screening app that they hope to use when they reopen oracle park and so a lot of the things they're doing for this spring are like a test run for reopening oracle whenever that is allowed and uh, the, the app will allow much quicker entrance because you can answer all the questions and do the, the sort of the screening process before you even get to the ballpark and then just show your phone. They scan it. They know that you're OK because you've answered the questions, you know, in the, in the appropriate fashion. And uh, that should help people get in and out. Of course, it's not going to take very long, theoretically, to get in and out of a stadium that's not at full capacity, uh, which is good because I think the real concern had been, um, you know, entrance and exit and staggering that if necessary. With so many people, it's hard to socially distance when everybody's trying to jam their way out of exits after a game. 
uh, at Scottsdale Stadium. It's about 500 people that'll be behind the home plate area. They would be split up between the two exits on the first base and third base sides. They think that's manageable. And then about another 170 people out in the center field deck, the kind of party deck out there, and they would just go in and out the um, center field gate. So the Giants seem to have like everything under control, but I there's a lot of hammering and nailing and stuff going on at that stadium this week and things being delivered. I got, uh, I found out that I think it was like 3,500 hot dogs they ordered for the first few games and like 7,000 beers. So I guess that's the appropriate about <laughs> difference. I guess you need double beer, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So it brought, so I think they're just doing really traditional ballpark, much scaled down stuff. That's easy to eat when you're taking a mask on and off, things like that. So, um, it's fun. It's actually really exciting to have the prospect to have fans back. I have felt like even during the playoff games, when I was in LA with a, you know, a, a huge series, A's Astros at Dodger stadium, which that alone is weird enough, but the fact that it was empty, you know, except for cutouts, it, it still felt kind of like practice, like all those games, can noise, the cutouts, it still all really felt like practice. So uh, and yeah. I, what I'm saying is an exhibition game Sunday against the Angels is going to seem more exciting than a playoff game against the Astros. <laughs> yeah, I'm curious. A part, I think part of what I'm interested to see is just what the um, what the sound is going to be like, because that was um, even, you know, when, when the seats were empty last year, I, one of the most jarring things for me was just being in the stadium that was silent up until game time. And then you had the artificial noise all through game time. And then the last out was recorded and it was immediate silence. I mean, they would maybe play a song, they were winning team would go through the high five line and then the, the stadium was just silent. Um, and the actual spontaneous live nature of having people in there like reacting and stuff like that is, I think that's, it's gonna be interesting to see just if it's jarring going back to that. Matt Kawahara and I will be back in just a moment with more about spring training. But first, a reminder, you can find all the Chronicles baseball coverage at www.sfchronicle.com. And to subscribe, go to sfchronicle.com slash pod. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Now, what are the main storylines at A's camp? Because from afar, it seems like both the A's and Giants have been making really interesting last-second additions all of a sudden. But especially the A's, like they, they're making some pretty major moves here in this last week. What's that been like, and, and how are you seeing things? Yeah, I mean, the storylines for the first week have been that there's been a new player announced, like, or a new player showing up in camp every day. Um, and it's been a, a veteran fairly well-known player every day. Um, yesterday it was Mitch Moreland showing up. The day before it was Trevor Rosenthal, um, Sergio Romo a few days before. Um, they, like you said, they, they had a glacial offseason. I mean, they did nothing up until the beginning of February, really. There were a couple moves in January, a couple like lower profile additions. 
And then just in a couple of weeks leading up to camp, they, they traded for Elvis Andrews to solve the shortstop problem. They made a flurry of moves to, to address their bullpen. And now, I mean, we've you know talked to a few guys because they're staggered through Zoom interviews, but um, Bob Melvin said that on the first day of full squad workouts, um, when he held his sort of team address, uh, socially distanced with everybody spaced far apart in chairs outside on the grass, um, part of his message was that because of those late moves, there should be no difference in the expectations for this team than there were last year when they won the AL West, in, albeit in a shortened season. Um, from what he said and, and from you know the, the different players that we've talked to, they feel good about this group. Um, they have a lot of confidence um, in, in the players that they've uh, assembled. Obviously, they had the core coming back. They had a lot of young, talented guys coming back, and they feel like they've plugged the, the holes that were left by, um, by players leaving in free agency. And, and so I think uh, even though there are sort of new faces trickling in, um, the, the sense has been that I think there's still a pretty, uh, pretty good feeling about this team. It doesn't feel disjointed. It doesn't feel like they're just kind of piecing it together willy-nilly. Um, they feel good about where they are right now. How about the Giants? Well, the Giants have been adding some interesting names, starting with former A's starter Scott Kazmir, kind of out of nowhere yesterday. I, I like saw Buster Olney tweet it, and I went, wait, what? Like, did he, like, <laughs> something come out of his his phone from, like, five years ago that suddenly <laughs> popped through or something? Draft yeah. accidentally. And, <laughs> exactly. So I, I, and I wound up talking to Scott. And um, he's phenomenal as always, one of my favorites. He um, he said he's been out of the game essentially for a lot for personal reasons. He and his wife Kim had uh, two little boys. His both his parents uh, have cancer, um, fairly significant um, treatment that they're receiving. So uh, you know, and then there was the pandemic with all of that going on. I think he just decided you know, um, he wasn't going to, over the last couple of years since he, since he left Braves camp in, I think, 2018, he just didn't, didn't want to give it a whirl. And then he was playing catch with Kendall Graveman one day while he was waiting for the birth of his second son. They were in LA and, and Graveman was rehabbing and he, he felt really good. He thought, gosh, my arm feels great. This is great. And when, uh, Kendall went back to where he, where he was rehabbing, he just kept it up. He went and threw by himself in parks and, it, 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 the old feeling kind of came back and the love for the game. And he played a, in a little pop-up independent league near his home in Sugarland, Texas, which is kind of what he was doing when the A's found him before he's, you know, his, his really nice year and a half with the A's. And, uh, and he's back. He's back with the Giants at the age of 37 on a minor league deal. But, you know, I, it, it, he's a long shot. Don't get me wrong, by far, and their rotation's probably set. He's willing to to work in different roles if it, if it helps him get on the team, but uh, I I love that just kind of stick to itiveness. Um, then it, obviously they also signed Shun Yamaguchi, also to a uh, split contract, and he's a really interesting guy because he had a terrible year in his first year with a in the major leagues with. Toronto last year but can you imagine coming to a new country a new league in the middle of a pandemic um, and everything like nobody knows how to evaluate last year period but for somebody like that there's just no way you can properly evaluate last year and his numbers so 
Uh, I've heard really great things about him. Ryan Cook, the former A's reliever, played with him in Japan, and out of the blue, direct messaged me the other day to say, this is this is one of my favorite teammates ever. I love this guy. Um, great leader, big personality, um, and a really good pitcher. So, uh, yeah, those are some, some of the really interesting uh, additions they've made. And, of course, uh, it was it actually they actually had an agreement with Aaron Sanchez some time ago, but they just announced the Aaron Sanchez signing, um, and he's probably one of the last pieces of the puzzle for that rotation. Uh, I think everyone remembers how good he was with Toronto a few, year, few years ago. He was an all-star, uh, led the league in ERA. Just, a, you know, injuries have really hurt him. But if he's, he's solid, he could be an interesting addition. So, yeah, both teams kind of making a lot of uh, last last-minute moves. Uh, the Giants also adding Lamont Wade Jr. from the Twins in a little bit of a deal. And I, I have to tell you, Gabe Kapler is so enthusiastic about him and keeps mentioning him as a possible guy who could, who could hit up in the order. So he's definitely a guy who I think is a platoon option in the outfield for the Giants and, and might see quite a lot of uh, significant playing time the way they're talking about him. They like his power potential. So yeah, last second additions. This uh, weird that these front offices would be working so in such similar fashion. That's one of the fun things kind of going from covering the A's for so long to covering the Giants is I do kind of feel like I understand a little bit how the front office operates because uh, Farhan Zaidi obviously has that long, long A's history and, and really does the, you know, it has a lot more resources now, no doubt about it. Uh, you look at, well, you know, I think they've added you know, eight or nine players this offseason. Uh, and they're well over spending 20 plus million on them for the year. But uh, there's a plan. And, and these are all guys who are kind of a little bit overlooked or guys ripe for bounce back seasons, uh, especially on the pitching side. And the Giants have shown a real knack for that the last couple of years, got finding pitchers who are good on uh, at bounce back candidates. So uh, I think they've, you know, the, the Listella thing, you know, talk about crossover. My goodness, the A's wanted him back. The Giants land him. I think he's just going to make their whole offense so much better. He lengthens that lineup. Uh, um, Kapler's been talking about him batting leadoff with Yastrzemski behind him. Uh, that's something I think opposing starting pitchers are really not going to enjoy having to face one, two. So, uh, yeah, a lot of interesting things going on, it seems like, in both sides of the day. Uh, my question for you is, uh, Matt Chapman, how is he looking after coming off a of hip surgery? He's looking pretty good. Um, I mean, all the reviews have been uh, positive about the way that he's moving. He, you know, he's what almost he would be about five months removed from the procedure now. Um, he said he was fully cleared to start doing sports activities again on January 6th. So it's been a little while for him ramping up. Um, and it really looks like, you know, he's he's moving well. It's a little hard, obviously, to tell. It's not game action. It's not game speed. Um, but the first day of full speed workouts, he was out there at third base. Um, he and uh, Chad Pinder were working at third base actually. And um, I think one of the more eye opening moments there was he, uh, they were doing a bunt drill. And so he had to make a charging play uh, and he, you know, charged, charged the ball barehanded through to first base on the run, which you know, last year, the play that he uh, hurt himself on it really aggravated the hip and had to come out of the game was a play where he was, moving to I think it was his left had to spin and throw so and and he said that was a play that just uh kind of was the last straw that broke the camel's back when it came to, to needing to take care of this hip problem um so to see him make that kind of an athletic move um obviously in defense where he's so good um I think that was kind of a a, a big I mean 
for me, I'm sure he's been used to his uh, used to his progression in recovery. But just to see that on day one, I think that was that was probably a pretty um, pretty encouraging sign. And you know, I think uh, obviously he's he's got a little work to do to get him hitting timing back. But so do all of the hitters. They've been doing live BP for a couple of days. Hasn't been a ton of hard contact out there. A lot of guys just standing in and seeing seeing pitches again for the first time. Uh, Jesus, uh, on day one of live BP, Jesus Luzardo was the first pitcher to throw. Oh, that's and, nice. <laughs> and, Bob, and Melvin said that his first pitch was 98 miles an hour. So that's just mean. That's just whoever mean. Was, I'm sure whoever was standing in there loved that. Um, but, hey, at least you get your eyes tuned up to it again. Uh, everybody's kind of getting back in, into shape right now. Yeah, um, every, everybody will look easier after Jesus. What about A.J. Puck? How's he looking? Yeah, we haven't gotten to see a whole lot of him yet. Uh, he has thrown, I think it's either two or three side sessions. And uh, like we said, with not being able to actually stand there and watch, um, it hasn't been easy to evaluate. He has not faced hitters yet. Um, he threw a session today. Melvin said that he looked good. The term throughout this has been that he's looking free and easy again. Um, not exactly sure what that means, but everybody seems to be pretty positive about the uh the work that he's done to get back um, from the shoulder surgery. And it, it'll be interesting. I mean, that's one of the, the big, I think, intrigue uh, or questions about uh, A's camp this year, uh, this spring is just if Puck is healthy, what do they do with him? Yeah. Um, because he's not, they can't, he's, he's not going to be able to start for a full season. So even if he was ready to go as a starter for opening day, and even if they were to put him in the rotation somehow, it's not like he's going to be able to do that for the full season just because he hasn't logged the innings over the years. So do you use him in the bullpen? Do you just uh, start him there and think you'll figure you'll use him as a reliever and a guy that you can just kind of bring into um, to leverage situations if you need a hard-throwing lefty? Or do they just – well, they, I guess they're not going to be using him as a closer. I was just going to say, I'm so disappointed. <laughs> My idea of him being closer is at least – at least a year or two off, I guess. Yeah, not, maybe they can ease him into it. But, Stupid um, but that's Trevor gonna be, Rosenthal. <laughs> that's going to be one of the questions. I mean, the Trevor Rosenthal edition is, is interesting for so many reasons, um, not the least of which that the A's decided to uh, to shell out the, the money there for the, the one-year $11 million deal. Hey, they got to spend some money, right, or they're going to really get you know their hands slapped. But yeah, which is reportedly deferred over several years, and the kind of structure that that uh, Marcus Simeon was offered a little bit different because I think it's only deferred over three years. But um, but you talk about guys who are looking for a bounce back. I mean, his last year was great, but uh, the year before that, he, he was coming back from Tommy John surgery, and he had a heck of a time. I mean, his his numbers were very bad. His his command was. Uh, just not there. His walk rate was um, sky high. And last year, he said, uh, we talked to him a couple of days ago on a, on a Zoom call. He said that it was unfortunate um, that the season got cut short because he felt like he was ready to go and he had a lot more to offer in 2020. And his his numbers were good. He got back into a ninth inning situation and, and saved, uh, saved some games. Um, his fastball is still there. Uh, Melvin joked after his first bullpen session that it's like he could he thinks he saw the ball but he more heard it hear the <laughs> hit the hit the catch because I mean that that's fastball that ranks in the top percentile average velocity in the majors so he'll always have that um, and it, it will be interesting to see just kind of what kind of season he's able to compile and if he's able to stay healthy over a full year because you know it's been a little while for him. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, honestly, I just did. I was really just joking. I've always loved him as a pitcher, and I think that's a savvy move. We knew if they spent money, it was going to be in the bullpen. I am thrilled to see Yusmero Petit back there. It's such a good spot for him. He's so necessary. He's the, I think, really just one of the most valuable players they have. So, you know, I, I think a lot of A's fans uh, and, and a lot of the media, uh, including me, were kind of down on them for not bringing Simeon back and thought that was a bad sign. Uh, which you could argue is, you know, it certainly indicated they have a lot of money woes. But uh, the fact they were able to bring back Petit, kind of low-key encouraging. So there was a little bit of a flip side there. Players love that. I mean, we've asked a few guys about uh, what, how important it was to bring back Petit. And, uh, and Huge. Everybody just, I think, uh, who was it? It might have been Chris Bassett who said that there were really three leaders on the team last year. And uh, they were... He named them as Marcus Simeon, uh, Joaquim Soria, and Yusmer Petit. Yeah. And obviously two of them are gone, but he said that when they when he found out that they were bringing Petit back, he was like, okay, things are going to be okay. <laughs> yeah, I kind of agree. I think that's, uh, I mean, that was just huge. I think a little little under the radar huge for them. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, the, the Giants, I'm trying to think what the, the key storylines are for the Giants. Uh, their rotation looks pretty set. You know, their bullpen with the kind of late addition of Jake McGee looks pretty set. And the lineup really looks improved. So I think, you know, this is not going to come as any surprise. The real thing for them is they're playing in a division that's brutal. You know, they probably their best shot is third place. There aren't expanded playoffs. Uh, everyone knows there's a ton of money probably coming off the books next off season with um, probably Cueto plus the Brandons and Buster Posey. So uh, do they just kind of try to improve this year, hang around, make things interesting, and then really go for it? Or if they're close at midseason, are they a team that potentially could go out and get some pieces and really make a run for it? Because I think this is a team that's probably a little better than people are giving them credit for being. I think, you know, they almost made the playoffs last year. Sure, expanded playoffs, weird season. Um, but they were better than people expected. And I think this team is significantly better than last year's team. So, you know, assuming full health and all of that, uh, I actually think they're a team. And they, they have the resources to pull off a, a midseason trade if they want to. They've got a very deep minor league system. They've got tons of money. So uh, I think uh, it, it's interesting. I got to tell you, it's very weird covering a team with money. I just... What? Uh, what has been the reaction for? I'm sure you guys have asked just with the um, the number of moves. Obviously, the Padres were uh, just making moves left and right there for a while, and, and the Dodgers are the Dodgers. Um, I'm sure you guys have asked kind of the players just kind of how they view that, uh, what they think are the the, the possibilities and the expectations um, going in and playing in that division this year. I know you'll be shocked by this, Matt, but there's been a lot of we need to take care of our own business, and we know how good we are. Um, yeah, I do think that they're confident um, and there's a feeling kind of like that they're being a little too discounted maybe. And, um, you know, I think they can use that to to uh, their benefit. But yeah, there's no lack of confidence in this team. Uh, and they really, I, I think they, they really could be a surprise. Um, you know, a, an injury or two here or there with a front running team and you just never know how the complexion of a division changes ever. But uh, in this case, the fact that the Giants are really starting to kind of get deeper, they've got a very deep farm system, um, you know, they either could stay in it and maybe make a move to get themselves better at the end, or 
if they're out of it, then there's their time to bring up some of their young players that are probably going to be really big keys for them uh, in future years. So honestly, it's a kind of a, a win-win sort of season for them. I think what they really would like is to improve a l- at least a little bit on their record, show that they're improving uh, and heading in the right direction. Uh, and that the plan that they have is a good one. But I, I think that they're certainly fully capable of, capable of that. And they might surprise a little bit. And how's Buster Posey looking coming back after a, a year away? Buster looks great. Um, he says he feels great. He, you know, it looks like there's spring in his step. He's got a smile on his face, which is, you know, not, you know, he's a pretty serious guy. Um, but he's, I've, I've seen him this week really looking like he's just uh, having a blast being out there. And he's so important on both sides of the ball. Uh, I think they feel like where they really missed him last year was on the catching side, especially when Bart kind of came up and, you know, through no fault of his own, was rushed and, and uh, just was not as, as good really as they needed. So uh, Buster is, they're all delighted to have, you know, he's team leader, he's revered, the pitching staff loves him. It's obviously, a, you know, really one of the, the most significant factors for them is that he's back. So many people have said they feel like he made four or five games potentially difference, you know, it was a, with a potential swing last year. So with him, they make the playoffs. Without him, they don't. Um, if he does that this year, you know, uh, and you extrapolate over the course of a full season rather than a two-month season, you know, that's, that's a massive difference. So uh, I, don't, I don't think one guy, like his war is probably not 20 or something, but... But he is certainly a guy who, in so many different ways, is going to help the Giants, uh, including just from a mental and confidence perspective. I'd also like to ask just what uh, what it's been like so far for you covering uh, a new team this spring. Obviously, you're a couple of weeks or a week into being around them um, after a long, long time covering the A's. Very How's long. the transition? Yeah. Uh, it's weird being a newbie. Um, it's weird, uh, you know, obviously I know Scott Stale Stadium from, from covering the A's there when they in, played uh, exhibition games, but it, it's weird uh, being there, like that being my workplace and kind of getting to know it and not, you know, over in, in Mesa, the Coliseum, I know, you know, I know all the security guards, I know all the, you know, parking attendants and like I'm still learning like all the, the people, plus there aren't that many people there, you know, like some of the regulars I just probably I won't meet face to face, you know, probably until next year. And that's weird. So, uh, and most of the people on the 40-man roster I've never met in person. Even Listella, that's, I only know Listella from Zooms last year with the A's. So um, I was pretty darn excited about Casimir. Like I texted him and he texted me back and I was like, yay, somebody I know. So low-key rooting for him to make the roster. Uh, But, you know, I know Farhan and I know Gabe and um, Lotus and a lot of the other people, a lot of the other executives. So, uh, it, it will be fine, but it is very weird. This is a kind of the wrong time to take our, as you found out last year, when you were filling in, um, for me in spring training, and then I get hurt and you wind up having to cover a whole pandemic, uh, and not in the clubhouse every day. It's really hard to get to know people on any sort of level at all when it's all via Zoom. Um, and- oh yeah, there are a lot of players that I have not met in person yet, and a lot of staff that uh, I, you know, I previously covered uh, the A's and, and Giants a little bit for for a different paper, but that was you know good four or five years ago, and and getting to know them again, um, it has not been an option to do that in person, just saying hi or passing by or anything like that. So yeah, yeah, that's the thing—you don't bump into people like you can't. It's 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 a very strange thing. Um, so obviously, I know Andrew Bailey, so that's good. But it, I I think the Giants have about seven hundred coaches. It seems like, and 
he and Wotus, I believe, are the only ones I know. So uh, I can't just text somebody and say, hey, um, you know, it looked to me like somebody's changed his swing mechanics. What's he doing differently? I, they, they don't know who the heck I am, and I don't know who they are. So uh, it's, it's challenging, but it's fun. You know, I'm kind of in an age where um, getting an opportunity to really do I don't I don't want to say something completely different. It's still, it's still baseball, and I, you know, and I know a lot of these people, but... Uh, it's fun to have kind of a, sh a sh career shift in a way and have like a new challenge. So um, uh, kind of out of the blue. So I'm enjoying it, but I miss everybody over there. Um, I know you're doing a phenomenal job as always. And uh, that's awesome. But I, I do miss all the ace people. So um, hi to anybody of them that, that possibly are listening. And um, uh, again, to ace fans, I, I think you all know that I, I left a little chunk of my heart over there, but I am enjoying my new rule. So Matt Kawahara, we will catch up again at some point uh, during the season and compare notes. And uh, I'll probably have tons of questions for you as this, this season goes along. Um, best of luck out there at uh, Ho-Hokum. I'll, I'll, I'll miss it. I mean, I'll, maybe, I don't know, can, can we go to visiting stadiums for games? Maybe I'll see you over there at some point. I, I don't that's know a good that's question. I think there'll be a little bit of that at least, but, um, Fan, yeah. if, if fans could get in, I, I don't know why the visiting writers couldn't, but maybe, maybe that's not that's a good point. We'll have yeah. to sit in a pod. I guess we should find out before, before next week. <laughs> All right, Matt, thanks for, for, I was going to say, thanks for joining us on A's plus and giant splash. This is your A's plus. Thanks for joining yourself on A's Plus, and thanks for joining me on Giant Splash, Matt Kawahara. Anytime. Stay safe over there. Thanks again to Matt Kawahara for joining me on this combo edition of our podcasts. You can find him on Twitter, at Matthew Kawahara. I am at Susan Slusser on Twitter. And our producers today were G. Allen Johnson and King Kaufman. Both Matt and I will be back next week with more Giant Splash and A's Plus podcasts. Thanks for listening.